Everybody Relax. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Everybody Relax podcast, facilitated by your local neighborhood social worker and therapist, Trey. Hope that your week has been well and everything has been going good for you, that you are staying safe and COVID-free. Hope that the snow didn't do too much for you if you're in my area up in Virginia or if you're somewhere else that might be different. But um, hey, you're here with us. Could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. <laughs> uh, shout out to all the uh, subscribers to Everybody Relax Podcast, those who are listening and liking, sharing, commenting, you know, giving us feedback on the episodes. We appreciate that. We continue to be on Apple Podcasts or Anchor and, Anchor and Spotify, which is the same people now. Um, and then hopefully there, I just submitted the podcast to, um, iHeartRadio, which I didn't even know they was that major in the podcasting game. I knew about Charlemagne and the Black Effect Network, but man, um, need to get on that podcast, um, side over there with iHeartRadio. So we just submitted over there to, to get on iHeartRadio. So we should be hearing something back to expand the reach of the podcast. So man, again, thank you for the continued support. Thank you for the feedback to everybody who, talked about the fatherhood episode we appreciate that as well hope that helps somebody out hope that can be helpful to um new upcoming fathers um you know guys who want to know more about this parenting thing but don't really have nobody to talk to about it hopefully that episode could be of um, service to you guys so uh we're nearing we're nearing the midpoint of the season two of everybody relax so you know with that so with that comes um, me kind of taking time off in between seasons, you know, giving some time to pause, practice my self-care and then also, um, you know, see how I want to go about with the next season. And so we're halfway through, probably got about maybe five to seven more episodes to go. And so we'll see um, where we go from there. I'm looking to do a couple episodes about my experience in the field, um, holding different positions been in the field of mental health about 10 years now six years postgraduate with msw so wanted to kind of um go in detail about those different positions that i've had i've talked about them in brief in certain episodes but i wanted to kind of just you know have that conversation about what that looks like to work in psych inpatient what it looks like to work in emergency services um what that looks like to work in non-profit or you know incarcerated dads you know tdt which is therapeutic day treatment you know just kind of gloss over and you know you know share my experiences in those spaces and how that helped me as a clinician and how to help me as a social worker and stuff so hopefully i'll have that series out um nearing the next couple of episodes so stay tuned for that and look forward for that one um but i think this particular episode i'm going to follow back up on the intersectionality um, of the, uh, the episode, we talked about mental health and social justice, looking at the social issues that we face in America with a mental health lens. And I, I highlighted housing as one and, you know, how we could examine housing policy, but look at it from how is that affecting us mentally? And so understanding that living in non-safe, you know, unsafe environments, you know, could elicit trauma responses to our next home, or if we don't have stable housing or never had stable housing, we could um, potentially have trouble maintaining housing um, if we were able to receive that and understand what that looks like. So that was that. And I, I fell, fell into this because I wanted to go deeper and because I had some conversations with my Twitter folks 
um, after a, a, I think a webinar happened, and um, we were discussing where the field of social work wants black men, but they don't want all black men, right? And I would say that <laughs> they want black women as well, but not all black women. What does that mean? So, last year I embarked on a couple of uh, new roles and journeys. For the first time, you know, I... Well, let me go back. A couple years back in my hometown community, I created the Stop the Violence Movement, also known as UIE, Unify, Illuminate, and Empower, to help in teen violence in my community. We had... um, a teenager gets shot and killed here in our local YMCA. Um, I was there prior hours prior to the shooting and it made me, and, and when it happened and it was something that doesn't really happen in our area and cause for concern. I felt as though I needed to do something. So I created this, 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 this initiative to have conversation um, with local elected officials, community members, church members, community leaders, myself, my peers around what's happening in our community. I did that for two years. I did a third one. I did it for maybe three years, man, and kind of scaled back, partnered with some other people, let people other, you know, some other people do it. I was very um pressed um my last couple of years I did it because it was just so much. Um and so there was a lot of pushback at times, right? So either way. I transformed into that. Um, that was what my current community community kind of experience was. And then I get more involved with the racial and social justice initiatives, especially last year with George Floyd and stuff like that. That leads me to be part of a group that I talked about. We talked about dropping the monument. We had a Confederate monument here. Got some grassroots efforts. Um, going on in the county, helped some, you know, was there to protest, not protest, but, you know, helped to initiate getting the, the Confederate monument removed. And um, then I was asked to speak. Um, oh, and in the meantime, I was facilitating discussions around race, race and social justice um, with millennials on my in my church group, a um, couple sessions throughout the evening last year as well. And then what sparked that, I went into another committee working on racial and social justice initiatives with community leaders, elected officials, um, the same people that was at the round table prior to that, you know, sheriff's office, uh, commonwealth attorney, superintendent, school board, all these people I broke with those relationships with, they were at the table but had this conversation about race and social justice. So... In the meantime, as well, during that time period, this is like maybe like a six to eight month time, maybe from like spring through early fall and still continuing some of it still. At my current job, my nine to five had conversations with leadership administration about my experience with racial profiling with along with other black women and people of color. Um to, to bring that conversation to a head with our administration because they did not have any type of um, response when the protesting was happening in our area. Um, it was more so just an email to make sure that we were safe 
make sure that we got there on time, not on time, but got there in a safe manner because protest was happening. And our health system that we, we, we work for definitely serves a high black population. Um, my clinic itself, working in that clinic, serves a high black population. I'm the only black male uh, in my department that I know of. And it's a couple of different, you know, there's a couple of black women, a couple of people of color in our department, but um, that's that's there. But it's mainly, it's not as major as you would think it would be. And so I brought those conversations. I was have, able to have those conversations with leadership in different areas uh, in our department. And then um, had the conversation brought up with my clinic administration because nobody said anything about it, just business as usual. So, you know, and so I, I did that and that was all happening at the same time at some point throughout these months. And in my conversations at the committee level, working with this kind of social justice committee in my community, I was, I have been and have been one of those very vocal voices in these conversations and spaces around what racial justice and social justice looks like, what am I feeling as an African-American man, what I'm feeling as an African-American, how that impacts me and my mental, and how that impacts um, those around me and their mental. And so I think, and then we had to give all that backdrop because I just want to make sure you know where I'm going with this. So with that understanding, um... My nine to five job, I was approached about being head of DEI, which is diversity uh, DEI committee, because my job the, as a whole, the whole health system was working on DEI initiatives and each department was working on their own DEI committees. I was asked to be the head um, and also, if not the head, the co co-leader as well with that. So I thought on it and um, I ultimately declined. One, because I had so much going on, I couldn't manage to be um, leading this other group at work. Wasn't no extra pay. It was just, you know, we just kind of do it and get it done. And I wasn't sure if we were just going to solely focus on black folks. And, you know, the old the, the narrative that's going around now was like, you know, people of color. And you're like, we're not saying people of color. We're talking about black people and black people only. Um, specifically because we get left out and we get looped in, we get kind of just thrown in the bunch and not get our needs met. So I was concerned about that because what I was going to do, and I'm glad I didn't take this position because I wanted to know why we didn't have more black male professionals when we had a high rated social work school, um, and why there wasn't a funnel to get those folks over to our department and then I, I wanted to, you know, I had a couple things in mind that I wanted to address. But as I sat back and looked at it, understood what they were trying to do with it, 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 it wasn't the ideas that I thought so, that I, I was thinking about and where I was trying to go. So put a pin there. The committee meetings um, we had maybe once, twice a month led to conversations that were intense. I've had conversations with white men 
and women around my feelings and thoughts about things. I've even had conversations with black men who work with white women in these leadership spaces around their treatment of black women and and, and as, as school teachers and how they are approaching um, actually hiring black teachers and the lack of support that was provided to my to my wife when she was a school teacher at this this certain in, in my certain hometown and ultimately left her leaving the area to pursue another position. So you have all this passion, all this fire. You continue to have these conversations about how you feel and you scream. It seems like sometimes you're screaming at the top of your your lungs and not being heard, screaming into a bag, it seems like at times. And you share your story. You share what's happening. You share why we why we feel this way. And it's met with um, either I'm not a racist or it's met with, well, why why wouldn't you do it this way? Why couldn't they not protest? Why do they have to tear down businesses? What's the, how can we end this? These magic loaded questions that I feel like are not um, genuine in approach, that I feel like they are not genuine in um, thought or emotion. It's, it's, it's never, I, I watched it. I watched one, I watched one guy in my committee meeting. I said, um, it was me and another, another woman, middle-aged woman, family, who is a lot, a little bit more softer in her approach. Not because she's a woman, but she's just softer in her approach on how she goes about the Black Lives Matter, um, conversation. And I'm more, a little bit more abrasive, a little bit more raw. I said what I said to him. I don't know what I said. And his response was immediately reacting to my passion or my uh, inflection of my voice or my tone. And the other woman said it, black woman said it. And said it said it said exactly what I said and he was able to understand and comprehend what she said right and I called him out on it and I said she said exactly what I said but it was in a calmer tone it was in a it was a more peaceful way and you received it and he tried to deny and I said no that's I seen it with my eyes firsthand. Everybody in this room seen it. It's because you only heard this inflection of passion or my tone or how I was speaking to you. Mind you, I don't I don't cuss, I don't berate, I don't call people out their names. I just give them raw, true facts. It may be sometimes a little elevated, it may be sometimes in your face, um, but I'm never threatening to per se even though it may come off as threatening right another time situation happened we had the committee meetings 
I had been in there just ranting and raving, you know, every meeting about certain topics and issues around race and social justice. And, you know, this this white guy comes in and he's a pastor. He does he does amazing work in um down in Richmond area. He comes in and pretty much says it in a very calm like tone and very just open, warm, fuzzy. And everybody just received it. All the white folks in the room just received it in a such manner. And I sat back and said, I've been saying all of this at the same time. Not the same voice, but in the same same aspect. And it 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 dawned on me. And as a result of that, it dawned on me because then in the midst of all of those conversations with my committee meetings and looking at how DEI is approached in my job and then looking at the, 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 the actual group that I was a part of that I was doing, um, getting a, a monument taken down um, and my tone when I spoke at times were more was a little bit more abrasive. Um, I went from the beloved kind of community advocate to, oh, now he's a bully due to another incident that happened during the time frame. And, oh, he's boisterous and he's vocal. So I just sat back and watched. And all that happened the past couple of months. And then I really, it really dawned on me that what African-American people when they voice their opinion, it's always met with some confrontation. Even when we don't mean to, even when we don't, our intention is not to have confrontation. When we come and speak and speak our truths, we speak our passions, we speak our um, our feelings. They're raw, they're emotional, and they can be loud at times. Because we're just letting it all out, we're letting it come out, and sometimes we can't hold it in. When we do that, it's met and received directly from from white people or anybody else who doesn't understand how we, you know, express our emotions. It comes is met with, why are you so angry? Why are you so frustrated? Why can't you be calm and have a calm conversation? I've heard that many times at committee meetings. Why can't we just have a calm, civil conversation? My rebuttal is that I keep having these conversations with you guys for the last umpteenth years. This is not nothing new, and we're still in the same place. Why do I have to be calm? Why do they burn up these things and these businesses and destroy their communities? Community wasn't mine in the first place, so I'm not destroying nothing that's mine. And... It's just one of those things where we're constantly being told why you can't why don't you do it this way? Why do you have to be so loud about it? Why do you have to be so abrasive about it? Why do you have to be so threatening about it? And I I pose this question in the committee meetings that why do we fear why do you fear black people? Why do you fear us? You want to make a change. You want to be a part of change. But you try to police our emotions, our thoughts, and our feelings. 
I can't be a part of certain initiatives or certain community groups or DEI initiatives because I'm going to tell the real authentic truth. It's going to be, you might not like it. You might, it might not be what you, what you envision this DEI thing to look like. It might not be what you envision this social justice committee thing to look like. And it should just be peaceful. We have a great opportunity. We have a great relationship. You don't, you know, you didn't see it going there, but it did. And the policing, the policing of black people's emotions and feelings and thoughts when we try to have these conversations is unethical. It doesn't make sense. If 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 somebody steps on your toe hard enough with a steel toe boot, you gonna scream or you just gonna quietly say, Oh, it's okay. You're gonna scream probably. Cause it hurts. And this is nothing where black folks have been just stuff is just happens. Over the past couple of years. No, 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 no. This has been 400 years of oppression, pain, suffering, trauma, discrimination, racism that we continue to have in our lives and we continue to endure and we continue to be resilient. But why do we have to continue to be policed from an emotional aspect? So it's frustrating to have those conversations pouring out everything about what we feel and what's going on only to be met with. You don't have to be that angry about it. You shouldn't, you're just, you're too fired up about it. Why am I here? Why am I doing this DEI initiatives? Why am I doing these social justice committee? Why am I doing these things when you can politely remove yourself at any point in time due to your privilege and fragility? But I am, I am means I I, I am I have to be there in order for things to make to get moved forward. I had a conversation with somebody on Facebook about this social justice stuff one time before, and. I said, you know, I'm not going to sit here and educate you about everything that's happening. There's Netflix documentaries, books out there that you can read or your favorite, your favorite person that you love to quote, Martin Luther King. You can follow his lead. Um, You can go look him up and, and, and learn what we're talking about. So I suggested that this lady go read Ava DuVernay. Um, No, go watch the movie 13 on Netflix. I haven't watched it because I can't watch it because it gets me like too hyped up. I, like first two minutes, I was already ready to go. So I was like, no, nah, I can't watch it. But I know what it was about. And um, she was like, oh, great. Oh, Ava DuVernay, yada, yada, yada. And it was like very sarcastic. There are, and, and I'm like, why if I tell you to go research this thing with free knowledge out there, you probably pay for Netflix $15 a month that you, you don't, you, that's met with hostility. That's met with sarcasm. There are so many times where I'm in these conversations with people, with white folks around dialogue between race and social justice, that 
it the response is met with so much sarcasm, so much undermining, so much microaggression that it frustrates me to no end. I have threatened to leave some of these committees due to those microaggressions, due to those little sarcastic tones and uh, rebuttals that just not not so much as genuine in thought, but just more a dig at you or try to insult your intelligence. Had a conversation with a history teacher about, you know, what are you teaching in these actual classes? Is it teach you really teaching about slave slavery or are you teaching about just bits and pieces of it? Are you really teaching about the Black Panther Party and what that meant? And not just that this has been taught at the, um, they labeled as a terrorist group. These are the type of things. But is met when you start to get that that type of elevated with these folks, then is met with some type of they respond to the emotion, not what you're saying. They respond to the emotion, and nothing gets done. So you expect us to be a part of these committees, lead these racial and social justice initiatives, lead these DEI committees. Do this in these white spaces, put on these smiles, be completely calm, be completely um, just even killed when having these conversations and people don't understand what we're saying or try to make digs at us that are sarcastic, that are racist uh, undertones, that are like super, that have microaggressions attached to them. And then you say we clock out and we have to go home and make sure that we make it home. Make it home. And not be killed by law enforcement or being profiled because they don't want they they feel like we fit the description. And it's it is mind blowing and it's taxing and it's exhausting and it is frustrating that we have to be the ones to carry the torch to make change in this world, to be accepted in this world. We didn't we didn't ask to come over here. We didn't ask to come over here. We were brought over here. And now we have we're being told to go home if we don't go go back home if we don't like this stuff. Our home is here. You were brought we were brought here. We grew up here. So where are we going? Going back down the street. And so the intersectionality of mental health and all this is that you have a people who have been traumatized and oppressed and have built um, different behaviors, emotions, feelings and thoughts out of um, built trauma based response to be able to cope and manage and be successful in life in America. And then you take that and then you say, hey, we want you to also lead these initiatives on conversation about race and social justice and be a part of our DEI initiatives. Um, so with our companies, so it makes us look good to everybody else. So we can continue to market ourselves that we continue to sell our product and also make the money. So it makes us look good. And then, but not denounce racism or those investors who are racist. And you say, you should be okay with that. We're, we're, we we created the initiatives. We created the, the products around, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. We're highlighting 
black folks um, in, in, in apparel spaces. We're changing our logos on Facebook to Black Lives Matter, you know, from black history and black creatives. Um, we're, we're, we're doing everything that you asked, but missing out one component. Have you ever took the time to research it and do it yourself? Have you ever asked a black person, how does this initiative, how does this committee, how does this world make you feel? Oh, yeah, you would be great for this initiative. We would love to hear your input. We think you got the, the abilities to lead it and, and, and co-facilitate it and do an amazing job. But what's the what's the gain in it? I'm not getting paid extra. I got to use my work time in order to fulfill these needs. I have to prepare these documents and initiatives for you. You're not going to give me the grace to prepare it and do my work at the same time? No. This is an extra workload and extra caseload as far as I'm concerned of something that I already see that's not favoring me, but it's more favoring you. And I'm expected to just continue smiling, continue to be calm, even killed and showing up. And there are times where I don't want to show up. I don't want to show up. I don't want to be the social justice advocate. I don't want to be the con- the person that had the conversation about why we are being, why we still having these issues as black folks in America. I don't want to have to have those conversations with people who don't want to listen, who don't want to change anyway, but want to show up to these places just to show face and say they did it. Use it as a checkbox opportunity. I want to, I want to be, I want to have extended the same grace of privilege as my white brothers and sisters. That's all. I want to be treated just like my white brothers and sisters. I want to be able to express myself as an African-American man, just like my white brothers and sisters express themselves as white Americans. I want to be able to express my emotions and not be feared. I want to be able to have conversations of raw dialogue, tell people about themselves and not be looked at as this angry black man or a bully or a thug because I spoke out and was vocal about a conversation, vocal about a situation. The work is daunting. Do you think that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, Huey, Mecker Evers, Fred Hampton, do you think... They didn't have times where they just wanted to give it up and just throw it in the towel. We always praise them for being so strong and keep pushing on and doing the work. But Lord knows, you know, if you do this work, this work is taxing. And it's understandable if nobody wants to get involved into this work. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like there's an end to the meme. It doesn't feel like there's an end goal. It doesn't feel like there's a finish line. It's a constant, repetitive, same song and dance with people who really don't want to change, just want to be there to check a box. And to let the story be told, it's not going to be told that we had great communication and conversation, is that this 
the black men and women were in these spaces and they were angry and they were upset and they were yelling and they were doing this, that, and the third, and we were scared, so we never got anything accomplished. That's going to be the narrative. Not the narrative that you responded in ways that were not genuine. You responded in ways that were not helpful. You responded in ways that showed that you was more fearful than wanting to become educated and understand what's happening with black Americans. I know plenty of white Americans that are truly engaged in fighting for the plight of African Americans and understand where we're coming from. They want to work alongside with us. They want to make sure that we have those rights that we deserve. They want to make sure that everything is okay for us and they want to be want us to be treated equally. They understand. They give us grace and opportunity to express ourselves in a manner whatever it may be. But that's taxing. That is taxing to not be able to express yourself in the appropriate way that you you feel at that current moment. It goes against everything we talk about in mental health. And it makes no sense. Makes no sense that we in mental the field of mental health, the field of social work, or when APA puts out this statement about how they was complicit in the racism of African American people and people of color that we have this textbook definition of what mental health looks like and symptoms look like, yet when it comes to African Americans, it's a whole different ball game. Let me let me let me move let me switch gears to the mental health and the social work field. There and, and the comment that we had uh, that I picked up off Twitter from my guys on Twitter. They want black men in social work, but they don't want all of us. Because all of us are going to expose what's really happening and what how complicit social work has been in racism and discrimination. The same way APA has. I asked the question of APA when they put that statement out. Well, okay, so what are you going to do to resolve this? Are you going to give us more grants to hire more psychologists and psychiatrists? Are you going to provide uh, more assistance to help more black folks getting to psychiatry? only 1% of psychiatrists in America. What are you going to do to address these issues? What are you going to do to fill the social work to stop being complicit in the institution of racism, policing black and brown bodies? Complicit in the criminal justice system um, in regards to drugs, parole, all these things. What are you going to do, field of social work, to address the systemic issues that African-Americans face on a daily basis? How are you teaching the new generation of social workers that have that that are in class, that are doing internships in these classes and pretty much being taught? Social work from a white lens, from a white foundation, from a white privilege. The whole social work exam in and of itself is based on a perfect world scenario, knowing that we don't deal with perfect world scenarios in the field of social work. Why are we still taking this exam if it's not realistic? Why am I still giving the ASWB $270 three times just to pass this exam to say I am an expert in the field of social work? When none of this test is applicable to real-time social work in real, in real life. I'm taking an exam in the middle of one of the biggest moments in racial social justice issue, social injustices going on in the middle of in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm sitting here answering these questions that doesn't that don't even make sense. But I got to go by the textbook.
when social work in the field of mental health is not textbook. And so, leads me to my last points. The conversation of you can't have every African American man and woman in certain spaces because some of them most of us will expose the true the truth the genuineness of your approach so my question is why is your approach not genuine what is still fueling you are you still rooted in white privilege are you still rooted in racism are you still rooted in discrimination do you not really still see or understand the plight of African Americans? Because I think there's some general consensus, some general understanding, but it's still not the the real true depths of it because we are still being asked to take up the mantle to help educate and change. And my 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 response is that as I need payment or I don't feel like doing it. Payment regardless. You don't pay me much you want to. I don't feel like having these conversations about racial and social justice issues. It took me four times to record this episode because I'm getting so tired of talking about race and social justice, what that looks like, and what that feels like to us, and nobody's understanding, nobody's getting it. Because they only hear my expression of frustration and anger, so they only respond to that and not respond to what I'm actually saying. And then look at me crazy. Like, why are you so upset? Why are you so angry? Because nobody will actually take the time to really do the work. Nobody will take the time to actually do the work. I've said that in every aspect of what we do. If it's racial and social justice issues, if it's mental health or whatever, nobody takes the time to do the work. So what are you doing? Don't ask your your black employees to lead the racial and social justice initiatives. Don't ask the the black employees to lead the, lead the DEI initiative. What are you doing to do the, to take the take the time and opportunity to address the racial issues, the social justice issues that your black employees are dealing with? It's not fair to put that burden on them. You're the company. You're the agency. Take the time to do the work and then present it to those, those black employees and see if how, if they want to be a part or not, you just don't go to them and say, we have, we want to do this and we think you'd be great for it because you're black. That's what they're saying. I don't want to do the work. I've lived, I have lived experience. I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of doing the same song and dance. I keep saying, and I said this in the committee meetings as well. Floyd, God rest his soul, George Floyd, his situation, Breonna Taylor, everybody else that's involved in those type of issues. This is not new. It just happened with Trayvon Martin, Alden Sterling, Sandra Bland, Freddie Gray, all those names, 2015, 2017. If not earlier than that. And it continues to happen every single couple of years. Even sometimes... Stuff that we don't even know about. Stuff that don't even get posted. Then they come out later, a couple years later. 
just just now, just now recently, I seen last week, police officer sprayed and maced a nine-year-old little girl because she was not complying. And she had a mental health crisis. That sit there and tells me that you guys don't care about the mental health aspect of us as African-Americans. That's just one example. There's many more examples out there. You don't care. You don't care about the mental health aspect of us or what we're dealing with African-American people. We have to live here. We've been oppressed. We went through slavery, Jim Crow era, civil rights era, trying to get these be equal as our white counterparts. We've been brainwashed, whitewashed. We told not to celebrate our culture. We've been lied to about our culture. And then you just expect us to just be model citizens and act like nothing ever happened. Most of our grandparents have been through civil rights, been through Jim Crow. Our grandparents, if you're in the millennial population or the boomers, we're just supposed to just get over it, right? But nobody can get over it when it comes to Confederate that lasted five years. But we're supposed to get over our stuff. I know. I know. I know. And so I'm I'm begging these these companies, these agencies, these people. I'm begging the white folks who don't understand, who don't get it, to do your own research. Do your research. Because we're tired. We cannot continue to pour out and still be smacked in the face. We cannot continue to give and not be given anything. We are at this point pouring from an empty cup. Matter of fact, the cup is so empty, ain't had nothing in it for years. So we behind 10, 15, 20, we behind 400 years. And you want us to, we're behind you 400 years and you want us to teach and educate you and pour out to you. What'd that look like? For somebody that's already broken, tired, and already living on edge, that's, that's already hypervigilant at times. You want to come from that person. And then you say, you should be calm. You should calm down. You're, you're so passionate. You're so angry. You tell me, teach me when I teach you because it's not, I'm not pacifying you and I'm not giving it to you in a soft spoken tone and a, a, I'm coddling you. Then you tell me to calm down. Do you not understand what's happening? What's, what has happened to us as a people? So don't ask us to calm down. Don't ask us to educate. You do the work yourself. You do the research yourself. And if you knew anything about your favorite person that you love to quote, Dr. Martin Luther King, you would know that we're still here today. And that he wasn't as beloved as you guys make him out to be. That he was one of the most hated men and that's why he was infiltrated and ultimately killed by the FBI so I don't know what to call this episode it could be the intersectionality of mental health it could be just a rant rant episode could be any of those things but I employ white folks businesses 
agencies, people who want to understand more about what's happening with African-Americans to not police our emotions and feelings and to not automatically think that we want to speak on racial and social justice topics and that we want to lead DEI initiatives. And please, if that is the case, make it so that both parties are that has reciprocated some form of payment, some form of um, increased, I don't know, something. There has to be a reciprocal relationship in that. It can't just you can't just be just you take from me and my knowledge base and my lived experience and you profit off of that to keep your people happy so you won't be shamed and publicly shamed due to not supporting black lives. Be genuine in your approach. If you're not genuine in your approach or genuine on understanding of or wanting to know about the Black Lives Matter or wanting to know about black the black experience, don't show up to these spaces. Because we can pick it up a mile away that you're not genuine. We tell by your approach. We can tell by your response. We can tell that you're probably here just to check a box off. Don't show up in these spaces. Please, unless you want to do the work. Don't show up in these spaces if you're not emotionally vulnerable, emotionally available, or ready to do the work. Because I'm pretty sure you're going to come out these spaces and you're going to be upset. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry. You're going to feel everything we have been feeling for 400 and plus years. Are you prepared to take that on? And don't just be dipping out and leaving at your leisure. That shows your privilege. That shows that, you, hey, I can have this conversation, check this box, and go in there and leave when I want to. I don't have to do the work. I got what I needed. No. Don't work like that. So... Yeah, man, y'all take care, man. Um, <laughs> the phrase of the day is do the work. I don't think I did them in the last couple of episodes, but phrase of the day is do the work. Do the work. Um, make sure you like, share, subscribe to our podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Anchor. Hopefully, be soon to be on iHeartRadio. I hope that you guys have a great week. Hope that this wasn't too ranty for you guys. Just me, just me and my thoughts. It took me a while to get this episode out, but is out so i put it out there and you do with it what you will take with it what you will take whatever gems you would you want from it is what it is but until next time y'all be safe be easy i'll see you